Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, LA Opera's Richard Seaver music director, James Conlon, explores Il Trovatore, the story, its social contexts, and of course, the music, in this pre-recorded, pre-performance talk. I'm James Conlon, and I'd like to welcome you all to Los Angeles Opera. We are very happy to be reopening, and we will do so with Giuseppe Verdi's Il Trovatore. So it seems appropriate to be able to tell this story uh, with him looking over my shoulder. Usually, we're able to be together inside, and I'm able to talk to you in person. But right now, because of the pandemic, not able to do that. But thanks to technology, I will give you now a little talk about what makes this opera so special. I'd also like to remind you all that I write an article every time we do an opera, so Il Trovatore, you will find my article on this opera, Verdi, Azucena, all of that on our website. Just go into James Conlon's Corner or go on to Il Trovatore and uh, you can bravely thread your way through our website and find the article and I hope you will enjoy reading it. Il Trovatore is one of the world's most beloved operas. It has been popular since its premiere in 1853. It has never been absent from the world stage uh, for any amount of time. And it is beloved and yet at the same time ridiculed by some. And why is that? Well, on the positive side, I don't think there is any discussion that it probably has more great melodies, great scenes, arias, high notes, uh, human emotions, all packed in, in a very concise manner. And at the same time, its detractors say it is uh, a banner child of ridiculous opera stories, stories that are absurd, that don't make any sense, or incomprehensible. The parodies started already in the 19th century. Gilbert and Sullivan did his takeoff on Il Trovatore. And for those of you who will have seen A Night at the Opera of the Marx Brothers, of course, we'll never forget it, and that association will always be there. But is it all so ridiculous? I say no. Is it absurd? Well, who says that life isn't absurd at times, or things happen that aren't absurd. Is it melodramatic, full of hyperbole? Yes, but then again, that is what melodrama is all about, and that is what opera is all about. So in balancing this out, let's take a look at that supposedly ridiculous story, which in my view is not so ridiculous. In this middle period of Giuseppe Verdi's life, he concentrated on bringing to the stage very unusual characters. And with these unusual characters, challenging his public in a new way that they had not been challenged before. And yet he did so, wrapping it all up with his m great, marvelous music that they barely noticed that they were being challenged. Now, he had already done it a first time in 1851 with his opera, Rigoletto. Here's what he had to say about that. Everyone cried out at the idea of putting a hunchback on the stage. Well, there you are. I was very happy to write Rigoletto, and it is my best opera. Now, what was surprising about Rigoletto is that he was a hunchbacked dwarf. Misshapen people were not considered proper protagonists for tragedy or for melodrama. They were characters to be found in circuses or to be seen uh, in paintings of uh, certain courts of Europe, but not to be taken as a serious, feeling human being. Verdi took that story from Victor Hugo, and he portrayed this malevolent man, a man who is in many respects immoral and amoral, 
and yet we sympathize with him because of his love for his daughter. Now, in the second of these three operas, Verdi is going to attack another social prejudice, and that is about the Romani people who were outcast at the time and have been for most of their existence in Europe and are to this day considered to be exterior to our society. Now, that kind of social prejudice is something that was felt by all of the public and that was so common that they would take it for granted. Now, if you were to put a Romani person on the stage, okay, if they sang, if they danced, if they uh, told fortunes, if they read cards, but not as a tragic protagonist. And that is what Verdi accomplished in 1853. The result of his wanting to bring this character, Azucena, a Romani woman, onto the stage is Il Trovatore. It was based on a play by Antonio Garcia Gutierrez by the same title, and he brought that play to the Spanish stage in 1836 and became famous for the rest of his life as a result. At the same time that Verdi was writing Il Trovatore, he was conceiving and working on the details of La Traviata, which is the third of this trilogy of middle Verdi masterpieces. Verdi is doing several things with his opera La Traviata that are different and shocking for his audience. One is he's presenting a contemporary story that was simply not done at the time. It all seems far away and long ago to us today, but when La Traviata was produced, it was only several years after the story had first been told in a novel, in a play, and in fact was based on a true story. And he chose as his protagonist a sex worker, euphemistically called a courtesan. And by so doing, he turns the world upside down for many people in that audience. Because instead of showing her to be a morally corrupt woman, she is just the opposite. She shows herself to be the only one who is capable of uh, generous love and who is, in a way, the most evolved human being on the stage. So we have three interesting characters, Rigoletta, the hunchbacked, misanthropic uh, court jester, whom we love because he loves his daughter. Azucena, the half-crazed, tra traumatized Romani woman who also loves her son and loved her mother, and therefore we, we love her. And Violetta, who is, uh, who is a courtesan uh, in the time and who will show us, give us, lessons in love. Verdi, of course, is already famous at the time that he writes Il Trovatore, but this seems to put the seal on it, these three operas. Melody, rhythmic thrust, a hit parade of great arias that everyone will remember, four full scenes, high notes, all of that put together with extraordinary human emotions. The, um, what are those emotions? What do we associate with great opera? There's love, there's hate, there's vengeance, uh, there's death, there's violence, there's ecstasy, maybe in short, uh, in short spurts. These are all the things that make up a great opera, and it's all there in Il Trovatore. And it deals with some pretty serious subjects, which I think in today's world are on our mind. Uh, one is racism. The Romani race has been disparaged and marginalized for most of the history of modern Europe. The Nazi genocide included over a million victims of the Romanis. It's also a story of a disenfranchised woman and her struggles, and that very same woman who suffers from what now we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. So for the contemporary sensibility, we should look to the source of both of these stories, which is really Victor Hugo. Both of the characters, the main characters, Rigoletto and the Romani woman Azucena, are personifications 
of the combination of the sublime and grotesque, which was one of his big themes. Azucena and Rigoletto are kindred spirits in their moral uh, ambiguity. Rigoletto is a misanthrope. Uh, remember that he will be, uh, he will plot a murder. By so doing, he will accidentally bring about the death of his daughter. That's his tragedy. Azucena is morally ambiguous. She is a murderess. She murdered a baby. And her trauma, of course, will be turning out that it was her own baby and she will live her life under the, uh, un under the curse uh, of this terrible, terrible event, which she brought about herself. Azucena is unique in Verdi's output. First of all, she is the only mother who is a protagonist. That may seem very surprising, but the mother as a character is surprisingly absent from almost all of Verdi's operas. Now, perhaps it's not so surprising because that can be said characteristically of a lot of the 19th century, but Verdi concentrated over and over again on the father, in fact, the plight of the tragic father is so basic that Verdi touches it in almost all of his operas. The father in con confrontational relationships with the sons, sometimes the daughters, sometimes less so, but that's always about the father, but never about the mother. Azucena is not only an important mother, her relationship to her own mother, who was burned at the stake as a witch, is a very, very important element of that story. And so Verdi concentrates here in a very special way on the role of the mother in a way that he never had done before and was never to do again. But here we have Azucena, who is a mother, a loving mother, and she is the protagonist. So why do I keep saying she's the leading role when we know the opera is called Il Trovatore? There's no question that Azucena fascinated Verdi from the beginning and that he originally intended to call the opera either Azucena or La Zingera, which is now a pejorative term for a Romani woman. But he changed his mind gradually and probably because the, the social presser, the censors, would not accept the idea of advertising an opera about a Romani. And so it became Il Trovatore. Now I think this is the moment to tell the story and to orientate ourselves because it is meant to be a very confusing story. But I'm going to try to walk through it quietly, slowly with you so that you can see it just exactly how it sets up. Part of the difficulty might be that there are really two operas in one, or I should say two stories in one. Let's call plot number one is about Azucena, this poor Romani mother whose mother was burned at the stake as a witch. And she lives with the trauma of that dying mother and her dying mother's injunction to avenge her. And she attempts to do so immediately by stealing the infant son of the old Count de Luna, who had ordered her execution, and taking that infant son and throwing him onto the pyre, or what's left of the fire, where her mother was burned. But in her moment of confusion, she throws in her own baby, whom she was carrying in her arm. So she murders uh, the wrong baby and, she, and realizing that it's her son, grabs the other one and takes him with her. And she brings him up in ignorance of his own origins. Remember, he is the son of the Count. So she hopes that when he grows up, he will eventually kill the Count or his brother who, and that by so doing, she will avenge her own mother. So that is plot number one, Azucena and her story. Now, all of that happened 20 years at least before the opera starts. Now here's our second plot. 
And this one is far more conventional. And we will recognize the characters very clearly and easily. We have a noble woman. Her name is Leonora. She is a lady-in-waiting to the queen. And she is wooed by two men, Manrico, who is a mysterious troubadour knight. We do not know much about his identity. And on the other hand, the Count di Luna. He is the son of the old Count di Luna and the brother of the presumed deceased baby. Now here we are into conventional opera. There's a tenor who is in love with the soprano and she with him. And there is a baritone, that is the Count, who wants to get in the way. That's George Bernard Shaw's famous adage, an Italian opera is one in which the soprano wants to make love to the tenor and the tenor to her and the baritone doesn't want them to. Now that's a pithy, humorous way of bringing it all into perspective. But the fact is we recognize um, the archetypes of these characters. The soprano, whom we love because she is in love and she is good. The tenor, although sometimes the tenor misbehaves, he loves her and we want them to succeed. And we are just, we are quickly alienated by the Count because we see that she does not love him and he wants to get into their way. So we have this now bitter rivalry between these two men. Leonora, in the very end of this opera, will eventually take her own life rather than to live with the Count and in an unsuccessful attempt to save Manrico, whom the Count executes. Now, more on that later. So let's review our family tree now. I think this is the way we're going to be able to see this. Up here in the previous generation is an old count. He has two sons. One is called the Count de Luna now because he is the older son. And there was a younger son who was presumably burned to death by a Romani woman. Now, we, what we actually don't know is that that second son is the Manrico, the man who's in love with Leonora. So father, two sons. We're going to see that the count, the junior count, is competing with Manrico for Leonora. Manrico's struggle is that he has been adopted by Azucena and he has a struggle between maternal and filial loyalty and love. He loves Leonora, but his mother needs him to protect her. And so we will see at a certain point, he will abandon his mother to run off to, to save Leonora from going into the convent. Why is she going to the convent? Because it has been rumored that Manrico was murdered by the Count of de Luna. She doesn't want to marry him, so she wants to go into the convent, he's going to save her. But just before he's to marry her, Azucena has been captured by the Count, and so he runs off to try to protect and to save his mother, unsuccessfully, because he and Azucena will be put in prison, and eventually uh, the Count will murder, execute Manrico. So Leonora is, of course, uh, caught in this terrible story, which is all about vengeance. So we have one other uh, significant character who is a base. His name is Ferrando. That's not important. He is a servant to the young Count de Luna, but he is old enough to remember the father, and he remembers the very bad story that happened to the baby child of that father. And he's going to tell us that story. And he's going to tell us that story right at the beginning. And if we follow that story, we're going to be able to actually understand some of what happened. Let's listen to him do that now. This is Ferrando describing the Romani woman. This is like a ghost story, and he is telling, uh, he is telling uh, 
all of the other soldiers, but he's really telling us to story. So now we have to channel your inner Sherlock Holmes. You're going to follow this. He tells he tells how the baby was bewitched, the baby was taken and burned by a mysterious Romani woman who was the daughter of the woman who was burned at the stake. But the old count still believes that the baby survived. And he tells his older son, find that boy. I believe he's alive. And he was right. We'll discover why uh, later on. Now, Verdi has Ferrando tell the story in music that he associates with Romani music. We're going to hear more of that shortly from Mazzucena. But they are, of course, frightened by this story, and uh, he tells it. And then the bell strikes midnight, and everybody uh, horrified because this story, which is part of local lore, is terrifying them all. This he writes in the meter and the key that is associated with Azucena. And then... Placing Il Trovatore in context with Verdi's output, Rigoletto, Trovatore, and La Traviata are considered the three middle period masterpieces, written very close to each other. In fact, Trovatore and Traviata almost uh, at the same time. Their premieres were only six weeks apart. Uh, and in each one of these three operas, he chooses to challenge the public to uh, unique and very unusual protagonists. Now, let's listen to a little bit more of the music, and I'm going to show you some of the characteristics uh, of great melodic uh, freedom of, of, uh, of Verdi. This opera has more great tunes familiar to some of you uh, than condensed into, its, uh, in into one evening than probably any other opera he wrote. He's going to characterize Azucena uh, in a fashion that she will always sing uh, short, dramatic phrases. She will never have an aria. She will never have a lyric song. She will sing always in three beats to uh, a bar. So she has certain music that you won't be aware of it, maybe, but it makes her distinct from the other characters. Leonora, on the other hand, who is uh, who is a conventional romantic character, she's given these great soaring lines of lyricism and great beauty. Uh, let's hear a prime example of that here. Each of the three conventional characters, that is, Leonora, Marrico, and the Count de Luna, are going to get their own scene and aria. And what that means is that they get to sing a slow, beautiful uh, song. Just heard the first one, Leonora. Then they will sing a fast, so-called cabaletta. That was a, this was a development from the earlier Rossinian bel canto period, where 
that was uh, the norm. Every major character had it. It's significant that Al-Suchena does not have it, and that's part of what makes her special and different. Now you'll hear the fast part, the cabaletta, and here it is again, Leontine Price singing Leonora. Now, when she's finished with that, the scene will become more dramatic. The Count de Luna will slip in. This is dark at night. He wishes to see her. Manrico will be heard singing in the distance. He's a, he's a troubadour, and so he sings accompanied by his own lute. And that's how we're going to hear him for the first time. So immediately you see the music gives us the character of Leonora and Manorico, and we as an audience are predisposed to love them already. But here is the Count, and his music reveals angularity, aggression, uh, he has an irascible character, he is arrogant, uh, he has a sense of his own worth, which, uh, which of course is based on his so-called noble uh, lineage. Now, he in fact, uh, is a rival to Manrico in several ways. Putting aside the natural uh, uh, animal type of jealousy that one man might have uh, with another man uh, over a woman, let's also consider that he is a count. He knows of Manrico to be a troubadour, which is a lower social rank. So this, this challenges Count de Luna's sense of how things ought to be ordered in society. How can a woman, a noble woman, prefer a troubadour to me? That's basically what is uh, uh, adding to his anger and his hatred for Manrico. And then there's a, another aspect, and that aspect is this is a time of civil war in Spain, and it just so happens that Manrico is fighting with the other side of that uh, civil war. So. He's got a lot of reasons to not like Manrico. Let's listen to him, and I think you'll hear it right away. We will hear in the same trio, Manrico and Leonora, and you can hear how they sing the exact same melodic figure, and this shows us that they are unified in their feelings against the Count. <laughs> So we have the conflict of the conventional part of the opera set up. Soprano, tenor, with the baritone in the middle, uh, trying to his best to interrupt that relationship. Now we're going to switch gears completely, and it's the second opera that starts, Azucena's opera. We're going to meet her and put her in the context of the Romani community.
Now that's a type of music that we've heard all the way back until the time of Mozart. Mozart used what he used to call Turkish music, but that actually, what that actually meant was music that was coming from other parts of the uh, uh, Austrian Hungarian Empire, and it was usually associated with the Romani who roamed and had their own music, which was very popular, uh, but not considered cultured. And Verdi is in a certain way uh, following that same line here. Now, another famous piece is the Anvil Chorus, which is unique uh, in the output of all operas and very, very, very popular. And in its way, it's very crude and loud, but it has made its way into the popular consciousness. And then Azucena tells the story. She tells us the story of seeing her mother burned at the stake. And this will become a motive that Verdi is able to bring back and recall. And this, remember, is Azucena's obsession. This is her trauma. This is her life that she has never been able to outlive that traumatic experience that she had as a young mother. Now she's going to tell Manrico the story of her mother's being burned at the stake. And in that story, she's going to tell how she threw a baby into the embers, but she's going to accidentally reveal the fact that she did not throw the Count's son into the embers. She threw her own child. After he hears this, Manrico is going to say, then I'm not your son? And then she realizes what she's done and she covers it. But we have been now, we are now told, we the audience now know everything. We know that she threw the wrong baby into the fire and that Manrico is the son of the Count, therefore the brother of Count de Luna. We also know more now than any other character except for Azucena. Here she is telling that story. You can hear a repeated figure like a crying in the orchestra. And a march-like figure. This is similar to Christ's bearing of the cross. Repetitious, constantly, as she tells the story. As she arrives at the climax of the story, where she actually throws the baby into the fire, we can hear it played out in an enormous, great phrase in the orchestra as Azucena tells us what's happening.
The Count will go now to find Leonora at the convent where she is planning to become a nun. He does not want her to. He wants her to take her out of there and marry her. We see that he too is suffering the pangs of love and momentarily we can sympathize with him. Now this is a part of a, a scene and aria for the Count. That was the slow part, and then he gets a fast part, the so-called cabaletta. Uh, that is the convention. Uh, in this, uh, we're going to see the more aggressive side of him. So we see vulnerability, and then we see aggression and anger. but all of those negative emotions to the glorious music of Giuseppe Verdi. Manrico will come with his men and they will save Leonora. She surprised to see that he is alive, of course, because he was rumored dead, and they will be momentarily reunited in an ecstatic moment. The Count is off on the side, he can't do anything about it, and we hear this glorious phrase from Leonora and Manrico. Meanwhile, back to Azucena. Azucena has been wandering in the fields, and much to her misfortune, she comes upon the Count de Luna's camp of soldiers. Uh, they grab her and bring her in to interrogate her. What is she doing there? Remember, this is, we, get a, we get a picture here of the uh, cruel racism of the, of the time against the Romani. And she is interrogated and old Ferrando, the servant of the Count, seems to think he recognizes her and eventually uh, he's going to identify her as the woman who threw the baby of the Count into the fire 20 years ago. All she wants is to find her son. And in this glorious phrase, we hear her great love and devotion to her son, Manrico, whom she cannot find and whom she is calling for in a moment of great need. The melodic line of this is so similar to that of Violetta in La Traviata, it is impossible to mistake, mistake Verdi's deep sympathy for Azucena. Now, cinematically, we're moving from one opera back to the other. Now we move back to Leonora and Marrico as they prepare to get married. And this is the great scene and aria for Marrico. He will have a slow part to sing. Then there will be uh, an important event in the middle that will motivate a fast cabaletta. Let's take that slowly for a moment. Here is the first part, the lyrical part, as he sings to Leonora of his love.
and our convention demands that the character of the cabaletta, the fast part at the end, is different. And the news comes in that his mother has been arrested by uh, the Count's men. Instead of going to the altar to marry Leonora, he runs off to rescue his mother. And he runs off to perhaps the most famous piece from the opera and one of the great tenor showpieces called Di Quella Pira. Uh, and that is what we're going to present to you now, sung by eight tenors, all put together so that you can hear them all at once. And here it is. That montage made of eight tenors, uh, some as long ago as 100 years ago, shows you the great uh, variety of voices and great tenors who have sung the role of Manrico and why it's considered uh, to be one of the most challenging in the world. Now, one of those tenors, Enrico Caruso, once said, producing Trovatore is not really very difficult. All you need are the four greatest singers in the world. So now we go to Leonora, who has heard that Manrico has been imprisoned by the Count. She goes to the tower, to the prison, where she hopes to free him. She has a plan. She will promise the Count de Luna that she will marry him in return for his, his freeing Manrico. But she has prepared herself because she has no intention of seeing that deal through to the end. And she has a poisoned ring, and she will use that at the most crucial moment. However, in singing, she sings of her love, and this is the second of the two conventional arias for Leonora, with a slow part and a fast part, with something interesting happening in the middle. Here's the slow part, Leonora sings of her love, again, Leontine Price. Remember that the bel canto tradition insisted on beautiful singing, as its title suggests, and great control, breath control, 
uh, the ability to sing long, fluid lines. Now, usually there's a, an event in the middle of a scene that changes the character and that motivates the fast cabaletta. But Verdi does something very special. Instead, he, he puts a chorus and a bell, this mysterious religious chorus singing the miserere while the tenor is in the tower and he is singing with his lute. This is an almost surreal moment and he, he, in a very unconventional way, puts it in the middle of this scene. Count arrives, there's a scene of confrontation between the Count and Leonora. In listening to this short excerpt, we can hear the Count's fury and Leonora's tears and her begging him to have pity on Manrico. Now the two operas, the two plots, will come together and intertwine for the first time. Azucena and Manrico are in prison. They are awaiting their execution. Leonora arrives first, and she has a confrontation with Manrico. She tells Manrico that he will be freed. He says, why? How did that happen? And then, being a tenor, he accuses her of infidelity. Now, we know that that is unjust but he doesn't know that until he realizes it later. We will hear him in this outburst when he believes to have discovered Leonora's alleged infidelity. end of this duet, Azucena, who has been in a deep sleep, comes to life. And for the first time, Leonora and Azucena are on the stage together, but they never address each other. Now, the poison that Leonora has taken begins to take effect. And when Manrico understands, he of course becomes remorseful. Who also understands is the Count who has observed this scene from afar, and now he realizes that he has been betrayed by Leonora. And so as she bids farewell to Manrico, the Count, in the corner, seethes with anger at having been betrayed.
And so, in this melodrama, of course, the soprano must die, she does. But then in rapid succession, Manrico is sent to his execution. Azucena, seeing that he is to be executed in a state of panic and distress, will also die an operatic death. Now, what will she do before the end of the opera? The Count will say, there is your son being executed. And Azucena will turn to the Count and she says, that was your brother. The Count understands now that he has murdered his own brother and is the only one left at the end of the opera to rue his fate. It all happens very quickly in a typical classical manner, Verdi ringing down the curtain on these multiple deaths, all packed into one minute. In, this, in its way, conventional musical opera has given us a very, very unconventional view, or at least one that was surprising and shocking to the public of his time. But he wrapped it in such extraordinary music that almost nobody seemed to notice. And that music has thrilled and excited audiences ever since 1853. And so, for those doubters who didn't think that the story of an old Romani woman could fascinate the public, Verdi and Azucena herself have proved them wrong. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Music